0: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. It's 8.30 on
1: Wednesday, July 18th. I'm Karen Brown. And this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, could the age of Mississippi's new auditor mean more opportunities to come for millennials in the state? Then find out why a new study shows black women graduating with more student loan debt than their peers. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, we'll hear from the state treasurer on training for teachers educating their students in financial literacy. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi has a new state auditor. Shad White is now the state's 42nd auditor and the first millennial to hold statewide office. The 32-year-old took the oath of office Tuesday morning at the state capitol. Some hope it will lead to a turnaround for the state. White's track record of achievement includes degrees from the University of Mississippi and Harvard Law School. He also served as Governor Phil Bryan's 2015 campaign manager. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier his appointment is energizing.
2: I'm excited. I'm excited to get to work. You know, we've been, I've been meeting with senior staff and some of the other staff over the course of the last week. And, you know, I think that people are really energized by uh, fresh eyes coming in, by a new person who's going to give a new perspective on, on the office itself. So I'm really excited to get to work. That's the main thing I'm thinking right now.
3: In terms of age, what are your thoughts on that? Because everyone is... Oh my goodness, this is a young man, and he's taking on quite a responsibility, and he's going to be over an entire state agency staff. Right. Right. How many people will you supervise?
2: Right, we're, we're at about 135 folks right now, so I'll be supervising 135 folks. You know, I, I've had jobs where I've had to supervise a lot of people who are older than me, and, and my general approach is to walk in with humility. Uh, and say, look, there are subject matter experts in this office who've been doing this a long time. Uh, I'm going to rely on your advice. At the end of the day, I've got to be the guy that makes the big strategic decisions. But as long as you approach people with respect and with humility, I think they respect you back and you end up with a good working relationship. You know, one of the reasons I think I was appointed for this job is that the governor had seen me manage a lot of people, including people who were older than me. So on his reelection campaign, for instance, we had over 300 volunteers. We had a staff of about 25, if you include consultants and pollsters and that kind of thing, budget of about $4 million. He had seen me do all that, so he was confident, I think, that uh, I could get that done. And, and, you know, moving on to a different context now in state government and uh, uh, managing 135, 140 folks is going to be a challenge, but I'm up to it. How
4: long do you think it will take
3: you to get up to speed, Because, or have you been going in there and getting acclimated?
2: Right. I've been meeting with senior staff and they've been giving me briefings on the information that they're allowed to give me before I'm sworn in. Today we'll go through all of the sensitive briefings basically. Um, so we're ready to go to work almost immediately. I mean, I've, I've been preparing and reading, uh, all the homework that they have given me. It's a stack of briefing books about this high. Um, so I'm, I'm prepared to go in and, and start, uh, start making decisions about where we need to go as an office.
3: Is there one project that you have in mind at this point that you'd like
1: to tackle first?
2: Well. Two big things, you know. I think that cybersecurity is a big issue uh, around the country. It's it's an increasingly important issue uh, because so much of our world is digitized at this point. You look around the country; other state auditors' offices have realized that there's just a ton of really sensitive financial information that flows through those offices. So we're going to have to get serious about being experts in cybersecurity. Uh, we're also going to look for efficiencies in state government. So you know, I think education is a big place where we can start looking. Um, and really, the most important function of the state auditor's office is to make sure that when people steal taxpayers' money, we hold them accountable. So we're going we're to keep pressing the gas on that front, keep pressing the gas on our investigations and, and do what is necessary to hold folks accountable.
1: Governor Bryant says he hopes to appoint more millennials to government service.
2: I think it, as we look at
5: Mississippi's future, it's about those in the next generation that can take that leadership charge. And Chad White is one of the best to do that. Um, I think uh, when it becomes time for the responsibility to be passed, um, leaders in the government today need to be able to do that. So uh, we have a lot of people serving. Uh, age doesn't make a difference. It is what they have accomplished and what they can accomplish in the future. And I think Shad White's going to accomplish great things for us.
1: Governor Bryant says he looks to see more millennials in the state.
5: I hope to. I, I've got a lot of young people working for me, because when you get my age, a lot of people are young. Uh, but uh, I, I think you will see this millennial generation uh, come to the forefront very soon and uh, helping manage uh, Mississippi's responsibilities.
3: What stood out about him that you selected him above all the others? I've just known
5: Shad for so long. I know his commitment. Uh, to the state of Mississippi. He could be in New York just now making half a million dollars a year and he chose to return to Mississippi to serve his state. Uh, that type of loyalty is not often seen uh, and so that that really made a, uh, an impact on him.
1: District Attorney Michael Guest says White has worked in his office and is a hard worker.
5: You know, I'm excited uh, that Chad uh, received this appointment. I think he's going to do us a fabulous job. Uh, I had the opportunity several years ago when Chad was still in law school. uh, Chad came through the DA's office one summer, uh, did an internship with our office for several weeks. Uh, During that time, I saw his work ethic. uh, I saw um, how he was able to help us prepare for the case uh, and how hard that he worked. And so I know that he's going to carry that same uh, work ethic forward and that Mississippi uh, is going to have an auditor that we can be proud of.
1: Jake McGraw is the policy director at the William Winter Institute for Racial Reconciliation. He says although the South is the fastest growing area, Mississippi is the only state losing population. McGraw says between 2010 and 2017, nearly 43,000 people left. He says he knows white and thinks the appointment may convince more young adults to stay in Mississippi.
0: Age is not a, an inhibitor at all, and I think that it's notable because he's the first person of the millennial generation to serve in state office, but uh, I think that's gonna—he won't be the only one for very long. You know, I think just naturally we're reaching a a moment where you're gonna start to see quite a bit of generational transition. Uh, I think that Mississippi has a a, a history of, in a pretty recent history of, of having folks in their 30s run for state office, take state office. In the 1980s, after Governor Winter, some of his young staffers ran and were elected. Ray Mavis was elected governor in his 30s. And so in a past generation not that long ago, you you saw this type of quick handover, the passing of the torch. And I expect that something similar is going to be happening here in the next few years in Mississippi.
1: Shad White replaces outgoing state auditor Stacey Pickering. Coming up, find out why a new study shows black women graduating with more student loan debt than their peers. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you miss anything on MPB Think Radio,
6: you can always stay up to date by logging on to our website at mpbonline.org or use your mobile device and download our MPB public media app. This is MPB
1: Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Black women are graduating with the most student debt. That's according to a new report compiled by the American Association of University Women. The nonprofit Women's Advocacy Group says while Americans owe $1.4 trillion in outstanding student loans, black women are graduating with at least $10,000 more than their white counterparts. On average, the group leaves college with more than $30,000 in debt. Deborah Vegans is the Senior VP of Public Policy and Research at AAUW. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood more about the report's findings.
6: Overall, our report talked
3: about how women borrow more um, and struggle more to pay off their student debt. And so that is the theme for all women. Um, but in particular, black women graduate with the most debt, so approximately $30,000 as compared to $22,000 for white women and uh, $19,500 for white men. Um, so so um, black women and Latinas, they graduate with the most debt. They have the biggest Wage gap in the workforce once they graduate, and they have the most difficulty paying back the loans um, there's a variety of reasons for that um, so first is that they have to take out more loans uh, on average there are um, the families have less to contribute um, the students themselves have less personal income to contribute and African-American women and Latinas face a wage gap while before they go to school. So, you know, when they're young, when they're in school, they're making less if they're working than their male counterparts. And after they graduate, they face a workforce where they even though they earn more because they have a college degree, there is still a wage gap with respect to their white male counterparts.
6: So what does that say also about college affordability?
3: Well, college affordability, um, that's, in some ways, that's an oxymoron. So what we've seen is that between 1976 and 2016, the price of college attendance has more than doubled, but household inc- incomes have barely budged.
6: I know you mentioned a little bit about the difference in wages, but um, talk about how that is connected to the time that it takes for black women in particular to repay those loans. Black
3: women take more time than um, students on average to pay back the loans. So for women overall, it takes an extra two years, and for um, black women and Latinas, it's it takes even more time than that. And they have the most trouble um, paying off the loans, not just duration, but what happens during that time is in interest compounds, and they're in a workforce where they're still not reaping the rewards that they should be from their college degrees. So they've got less money to pay it back, um, more time, it takes more time to pay it back, and they're accruing interest all that time. So household incomes overall um, haven't really budged. I think there's been a 21% increase in the median household income since 1976, but there's been a 148% increase in the price of college attendance since
6: 1976. What are some things that can reduce this student loan gender gap?
3: There's a lot of recommendations that we think are very important. Um, First, we've got to safeguard and expand Pell Grants for low-income students. We have got to increase aid for low-income students overall and make sure that we're increasing state and federal funding of public colleges and universities which are more affordable for students. There's other things beyond funding and aids and grants that we should also be looking at. So we should be providing Institutional support to help traditional and non-traditional students um, successfully complete college degrees. So things that you might not normally think of, like providing on-campus childcare, helping with the cost of things beyond tuition, like books and supplies and housing. Um, we also have to have strong income-driven uh, repayment options, like student loan, public service loan forgiveness programs, and. Those are the things about, around um, education and affordability, but there's also things to address the wage gap itself. So we need to be bolstering economic security and opportunities for women um, by helping to close the wage gap, and there's several different ways we can do that. There's federal legislation pending in Congress called the Paycheck Fairness Act and another one called the Pay Equity for All Act. Those two pieces of federal legislation would give women new tools to help close the wage gap. Um, The states are pushing for pay equity laws as well that are very important to helping close the wage gap. And finally, um, we're encouraging employers to voluntarily change practices because we've learned that it helps their bottom lines when women are being paid equally. And the last thing that AAUW has been working on to help close the wage gap is empowering women to negotiate their own financial futures through salary um, negotiation training.
6: Deborah Vagans with the AAUW. Thank you again so much for your time today.
1: Thank
3: you. It's a pleasure.
1: Mississippian Wanaki Taylor is a compliance officer in Jackson and graduate of Jackson State University at the undergraduate and graduate levels. She tells MPB's Ashley
7: Norwood her loan payments average
1: $700 each month.
7: I started immediately like six months after I finished my bachelor's and then it got a little overwhelming so I put them back in deferment, and then I went back to school, so that automatically puts them back in deferment.
6: Was it, it wasn't affordable based on the job you were working at the time?
7: No, it wasn't at that time. um, When I first graduated, I didn't find anything immediately in the healthcare field, so I was working two part-time jobs, which were, you know, kind of equal to full-time job, but it was still, like, minimum wage, And so it became overwhelming trying to pay attention to those adult responsibilities.
6: Some folks may say, oh, you can pay that off. But what are some other factors that play into making it difficult to
7: pay back? You have a mortgage, have car notes, have insurance, um, not just your car insurance, but homeowner's insurance, have life insurance, have health insurance. And all of that adds up, so if I'm paying already out of pocket eighteen nineteen hundred dollars a month in just necessities, which is just insurance and bills and lights, gas, water, then to add on another eight hundred dollars can be a lot, And I decided I didn't want to take on any more debt. That's one of the reasons why I didn't finish because it was going to be like another $20,000 just for my dissertation.
1: Key Taylor with our Ashley Norwood. The full report is available online at aauw.org. Coming up, a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Then we'll hear from the state treasurer on training for teachers educating their students in financial literacy. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
8: I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Coffee. Good, bad, ugly, what's the lowdown on coffee? So is it good or bad? And this is a long-term study. So this looked at 14,000 Americans. That's a pretty big study. This was looking at 26 years. So what happens, particularly when you drink larger amounts of coffee? So for those 14,000 people, those who drank at least three cups or more a day of coffee, they were 21% less likely to be hospitalized for liver-related illnesses. Now, we don't know why, and again, this is not a cause and effect. Don't go out there and start drinking the whole pot. There may be some good reasons why you don't need to do that if you've got high blood pressure or if you've got an arrhythmia in your heart or abnormal heart rate. If you are drinking coffee, then maybe you're less likely to be hospitalized or have liver problems. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio.
0: The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. State Treasurer Lynn Fitch and the Mississippi Council on Economic Education are preparing educators to teach financial literacy. It's part of Fitch's Treasurer's Education About Money, or TEAM. The new teacher training program is aimed at equipping Mississippi teachers to successfully teach skills that will improve financial literacy for high school students. Treasurer Fitch tells us Mississippi is one of only 18 states with a high school requirement for personal finance.
4: You know, as we've discussed over the years, financial education is so important for our students, and then who teaches the students? But our teachers, so we need to train our teachers, because they're the ones relaying the information to our students. Um, It's been so successful over the years with Mississippi Council on Economic Education, training teachers, and again, remember, the teachers have such a tremendous circle of influence, and so over the last three years, you've had over 1,200 teachers trained across our state. And that's so imperative to the future in getting that information to the students. But so, so now something very exciting has happened. We've actually landed at where we wanted to ultimately get, and that's to have a master teacher of personal finance. And so just had the inaugural training, uh, which was June the 11th through the 15th at Millsaps. We had 30 high school teachers from across the state. Uh, the curriculum was developed by the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, Memphis Branch, and the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta and New Orleans, and then it was taught by Mississippi Council on e- Economic Education. So what a great next level offered for our teachers.
1: Treasurer Fitch, is this an accredited position for the teachers?
4: Well, they get a certificate. It's a professional development for these teachers, uh, at the same time, they also get their continuing education units, which is very important for our teachers uh, as they attain those every year.
1: Why these 30 teachers? What do they normally teach in their schools?
4: So These teachers applied for this uh, opportunity to, to get their um, master teacher of personal finance. Many of them teach a variety of different um, courses throughout their high school's could be uh, economic development, I mean economics, could be uh, business development, could be personal finance. So they had the opportunity to thread personal finance through whatever class that they might be teaching. Uh, What a great group. I had the opportunity to speak with them. They're so excited, again, about this opportunity to serve in the capacity that they are now um, well-versed, well-trained in personal finance, and now can provide that information to our students.
1: Financial education will become a requirement for high school students. Is that right?
4: Yes. Again, it's so exciting to have the opportunity to discuss this. Um, you know, for many, many years, our um, we've not had any requirement for personal finance. And my office has uh, worked so diligently with the Department of Education over the last several years, and um, we've implemented the team Treasurer's Education About Money program and initiative, and certainly Department of Education was a tremendous partner. Um, and so now they have just passed that it will be a high school graduation requirement with personal finance. It will be part of the college and career readiness class. Um, and so it'll be implemented um, 2018-2019 school year with some pilot schools like Northwest Rankin High School and Gulfport High School, Um, probably put in the senior classes or possibly juniors, and then the next year, uh, again, what a great uh, opportunity to see this come to reality because all schools will provide financial education through their college and career readiness class and it will be a requirement before they graduate
1: this is a one semester class
4: i think it depends on how this the schools decide to implement it, and I think the pilot will be very determinative of it, if it's two semesters or if it's the two semesters in their senior year or if it's a semester in their junior year and one in their senior year. So I think they'll be kind of looking through that and trying to flesh out where's the best uh, way to, to land and to, to craft those type of um, semesters. Uh, but, again, it's so exciting. You'll have these master teachers out there who will be training. Um, and the other thing that is so um, – tremendous is this course will make Mississippi the 18th state in the nation to require personal finance before they graduate.
1: Give us an idea of what the curriculum entails.
4: Well, they're going to be working on it as they go through the the pilot program, but certainly what they've been doing over the last uh, several years is they've partnered with a variety of schools. They'll be talking about credit scores. They'll be talking about mortgages, insurance, savings, Um, how they um, provide and look to college loans. Uh, It's certainly a great opportunity for upward mobility as they have this discussion. And it will include everything um, from um, lifelong savings to becoming banked uh, to credit cards, uh, truly what is debt. And as you remember, we are in a position where we need to change the financial culture of our state. So this begins to truly make a positive impact across um, the, the students
1: it sounds like a lot of adults should be taking this class as well <laughs> given what you've just said will be covered
4: <laughs> I know, and you know that's certainly on the horizon um, we again see that as a platform at the right time to certainly try to get out as much information to the workforce because uh, our workforce missed so much of this capability to learn personal finance And so hopefully we'll see some of that maybe roll out as well, because, again, that would be beneficial to the long-range plan to change the financial culture across our state.
1: Again, this is called the Master Teacher of Personal Finance Program, and we've been speaking with Treasurer Lynn Fitch. Thank you, Treasurer Fitch.
4: Thank you. Always enjoy being with you. Thank you for having me.
1: Hear this conversation again whenever you want by subscribing to our podcast. Just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101, then at 10, Everyday Tech at 11. Stay tuned for Southern Remedy. And join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.